I asked Matt if they could uh, play this song. It's a, a song by Big Tent Revival back in the 90s, and um, hopefully you all followed the storyline of the song. Uh, but the, 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 the song is about two men. Uh, one man's name was Rothschild. The other's name was Reuben. And uh, it was about their, their families. And, um, and, and Rothschild, he was building his, his home on the, uh, he was building his home on the American dream. You know, he was pursuing the American dream and all that the American dream promises. And, uh, and then Reuben, uh, he was building his life and his family. They were building their family on the rock of Christ Jesus. And with one family, uh, with both families, they, they went through storms of life, things that people go through. Uh, but one set of Joneses, uh, they ended up crashing and burning. But the other uh, Joneses, they, were, they stood. They th- stood through the storms of life. Today, we're going to look at a text of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 12 through 29. And uh, it, it's part of this text is the text that this whole that the song uh, Big Tent Revival wrote that it's based upon. But Matthew chapter seven verses twelve to twenty nine. And before I dive into that, just a couple things real quick. We're in the middle of a series right now. Uh, we were doing a series on uh, the book of Philippians that we're going to come back to, uh, talking about the, uh, the joy filled life and how you can have joy in the gospel, which is what uh, the book of Philippians is about. Thanks, Matt. And uh, and then the other. Uh, <clears throat> So anyway, we're taking a little break from that, and we're talking a little bit about building stronger homes. And every year between Christmas, or excuse me, between Christmas, between Mother's Day and Father's Day, we like to take some time to talk about building stronger homes because it's so important. And uh, and last week what we did is we talked about uh, we talked about encouragement. We talked about encouragement, and we looked at Ephesians chapter four verses twenty nine through thirty two, and we talked about encouragement in, in creating a culture of grace in your home. And, and the reason that we talked about, the reason that that's so important is because people thrive in a culture of grace. Plus, the scriptures teach it. And the Bible says, do not let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only a word that's good for building others up so they may give grace to all who listen. And the truth is, children thrive in a culture of grace. Gentlemen. Your wives will thrive in a culture of grace. Ladies, your husbands thrive in a culture of grace. Whether it's in school, whether it's at church, whether it's at work, whether it's in the church, we thrive in a culture of grace. Grace is what we all need. And so we talked about that. And and next week we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Spirit-filled family. We're going to go back to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. And we're going to, we're going to look at a text of scripture. And in, in Ephesians 5 through 6, there's a section of scripture that talks a lot about family. It talks about marriage. It talks about responsibilities of husbands, of wives. It talks about, uh, parents, children. But the whole foundation of that is Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, where it talks about the spirit-filled life. And we're going to talk about what the spirit-filled family looks like. Uh, but today what we want to do is we want to look at Matthew chapter 7 verses 12 through, um, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 7 verses 12 through 29. And, and real quick, um, I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible. So if you have a different Bible in your hand, uh, the, the paragraph divisions may be a little bit different. Okay? And, and I want to speak to this before I launch into it because it's important for how you understand the text. Uh, the NIV, uh, the New King James, the um, 
uh, also, I can't remember, there are a couple other translations. They all uh, have verse 12 as a part of a paragraph that comes before uh, with verses 7 through 11 in, in Matthew 7. And they believe that, that, that verse 12, that therefore in verse 12, is tied to those verses before that. Uh, I, the New American Standard, the English Standard Version, the New Living Translation, New Revised Standard Version, several other translations of the Bible, they see 12 as kind of a standalone paragraph, and that's important. And I want to read that to you and read it for you and talk a little bit about why that's important. And first of all, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, the Bible says, In everything, therefore... In everything, therefore, treat people the same way that you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. See, I believe, you know, if you know Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, what you know is this is called the Sermon on the Mount. You ever hear of the Sermon on the Mount? It's probably one of the most well-known passages in all the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus does in Matthew's, uh, in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 is he's basically taking what the Old Testament law says, and he's applying it to what it's supposed to mean and how we're supposed to live it out in our daily lives. And finally, in verse 12, finally, in in verse 12, uh, Jesus says this. He says, in everything therefore, and that therefore is tying what he says in verse 12 to everything that came before and everything that comes after. In other words, verse 12 is kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the climax of the whole passage. It's the hinge. You know how a door turns on a hinge, and the whole passage and the whole Sermon on the Mount really turns around this one verse. And what Jesus is saying to us is that if you really want to know how to live your life, this is how you do it. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, he's not just summarizing the Sermon on the Mount. He is summarizing the entire teaching of the Bible. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. So when you get cut off in traffic, you chase them down to the next exit and you yell at them, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right, okay. Uh, You know, but treat other people the way you want to be treated. I mean, it's, you know, that's simple. Think about this for a moment. If the only thing you did in your home and the only rule of life you had for uh, your marriage, if the only rule of life you had for your kids, if the only rule of life we live by was simply treating other people the way we want to be treated, what would our family be like? What would the family dynamic be like? What would that mean for marriages? What would that mean for what would that mean for divorce statistics? What would it mean for um, the way we live? And and how we experience life together. And so Jesus says, he says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. And then in verses 13 through 23, uh, Jesus gives us a series of warnings. He warns us about three things. And the first thing that Jesus warns about in verses 13 and 14 is this. He He says, Enter through the narrow gate. You ever hear this passage before? Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. You hear that? You want to know the path to destruction? It's got a great big gate. It's wide open. Okay? It's wide open. Uh, And he says this. He says, uh, 
the, the way, the, the, the gate is wide, the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. Not just one or two people. Not just Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, Ted Bundy, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin. It's not just a few people who find the way to destruction. It is many. It's many. And then Jesus says this. He says, the gate is small, the way is narrow, that leads to life. And there are few who find it. And what, what Jesus is doing for us here is he's warning us. He's saying, be careful. Be very careful about the path you choose. Because if you choose the wrong path, it ends in destruction for you. And if you choose the wrong path for your family, it ends in destruction for them. Think wisely about this. Think very wisely. Choose well, very well. In verse 15, Jesus gives us another warning. He says this, he says, beware of the false prophets. Beware of the false prophets. Why? Because there are false prophets. There are a lot of people today who claim to speak for God. There are a lot of people who claim to speak for God. They've written lots of books. Sometimes they have popular uh, TV programs. Sometimes, Sometimes they may even have a huge church. Remember, this ties to what comes before this. When, when Jesus says, when Jesus says, be careful which path, which way you choose. See, the broad path, the crowds aren't necessarily following Jesus. That doesn't mean if a church is big, they're not following Jesus. That's not what I'm saying here. But what I am saying is you have to be very careful who you're listening to. And that's not what I'm saying. That's what Jesus is saying. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Hey, they look good. They do. They look good. A lot of times what they say sounds good. In fact, a lot of times they tell us exactly what we want to hear. They do. A lot of times they'll tell us exactly what we want to hear, but they don't always tell us exactly what God says. Now, sometimes they'll tell you what God says. They just don't tell you exactly what God says. Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing and inwardly are ravenous wolves. You know what that means? They are deceitful. They look like the sheep, but they are dangerous. In reality, they're wolves. And what Jesus does is he changes metaphors in in the very next verse, in, in, in verse 16, he says, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Be careful. Be careful who you listen to. Be very careful. Be careful. Be careful which way you choose for yourself. Be careful which way you choose for your family. Verse 21, another sober warning. And Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Do you hear those words? Uh, these, these words for me as a pastor... They scare the living daylights out of me. These these words of Jesus, they scare me. They scare me. 
Because I am so afraid of someone thinking that they're a Christian because they go to church. Thinking they're a Christian because they call Jesus Lord. Thinking they're a Christian because they're involved in all kinds of religious activity. But there's no reality. There's no reality. Uh, These... These are not my words, people, please. If you have a problem with what's being said today, these are the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Did we do all those things? I've... I've never done that. Those are pretty spectacular works. But it doesn't guarantee the reality of being a true follower of Jesus. And what Jesus is telling us here is he's saying, beware of the false way, beware of the false teacher, beware of false discipleship. There's a profession of faith. Yeah, Jesus is Lord. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. But there's no substance to the lordship of Christ and how they choose to live their daily life. Jesus says, they'll say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. As a pastor, two things scare me. Well, I shouldn't say two. There's a few more, but... Two big ones. One is people who think they're saved and are not. I'm very afraid for that person. And, and if to think it only happens in other churches or somewhere else is wrong. And so I, I, I do feel that fear. The other fear, the other concern I have as a pastor, people who actually are saved, but they're afraid they're not. They have this, they're, they're kind of driven. They feel like I can never quite measure up. That's the other concern I have. And so how to preach this and how to keep this all in balance, I've been doing this for almost 25 years and I still don't know how. I just know those are concerns I have. It's why I pray for you. Uh, It's why I try to serve you. And then in verse 24, um, Jesus goes on and he says this. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, acts on them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. Yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And it fell. And great was its fall. And when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teachings. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. What happens? What happens when you build your life with faulty spiritual principles or poor foundation? Now, let me change that question for a moment. What happens when you build a building? What happens when you build a building with 
faulty engineering principles uh, and the wrong materials on a poor foundation. When I was a kid, I was a builder. I was. I mean, we used to build these forts out in Phillips Woods. We call them Phillips Woods because they were behind Phillips House, okay? We used to build these spectacular forts. They were pretty incredible. They were. And we used to build these forts, and, and, um, and, uh, but I got a feeling none of them are standing today. I actually built one in my backyard, and I built a tree house between a couple of trees. And, uh, and then I decided to close in the, the bottom part just for an, another, you know, that way it's two-story. And my mom looked at one day, and she looked at it, and she says, that looks like an outhouse. Now, you have to understand, my mom grew up around outhouses. And, and as a boy, I remember going back to my grandparents, and I remember me and my cousins and one of my cousin's cars. We ran, and, and we pushed over an outhouse one time with this car. And, uh, but it did. It, it looked like an outhouse. It didn't have the, quite the, the, the structural stability that you would hope for a building uh, that you live in or that you occupy. What happens when you build a, a building, but you build it with... Uh, Faulty engineering principles are on a poor foundation. On June 29, 1995, uh, in Seoul, Korea, there was a, a department store that crashed, killing 502 people. This was not an act of terrorism. It wasn't a bomb. It wasn't like the World Trade Center, or the. Uh, it wasn't like the, 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 the. It wasn't like the mural building in, in Oklahoma City that was bombed. This was just. It was built with the wrong materials. Built with the wrong uh, principles, engineering principles, and built on an unstable foundation. It crashed, killing 502 people. On April 24th in 2013 in Bangladesh, a five-story commercial building called the Reina Plaza crashed, killing 1,134 people. What happens when you build a building on an unstable foundation? You know, I wonder when Jesus preached this, because he preached this in a real moment. He preached this in a real moment, during a real lifetime. Just a few years, <clears throat> when I say a few years, about five or six years before Jesus preached this sermon, there was, um, I think it was, yeah, it would have been Emperor Tiberius at the time, uh, under his reign, during his reign, there had been uh, a temporary uh, ban on gladiatorial events and, you know, the gladiators and stuff like that. Uh, but then that was uh, rescinded, and so they built, uh, they built this, this arena in, in a place called Fidene, right around Rome. And uh, they built it, and, and it, you know, it was all these people were... You, just, you know, wanting to come in for the gladiator events and stuff like that because they had, it had been a while since they had seen one. And the people crowded in, about 50,000 people, and it collapsed. And it killed and injured somewhere north of 20,000 people. Um, they didn't keep quite the records we do now, but that was the low-end estimate. It went up much higher than that. But bet- uh, somewhere between twenty and 50,000 people were, were killed or injured. Huge. I wonder if Jesus may have even been thinking about something like that or if his people who are listening to him were thinking about what happens when a building crashes. But Jesus isn't talking to us about buildings here. Jesus is talking to us about our lives. 
And, and, and I think that what Jesus is saying to us, and, and particularly in the verses uh, that follow here, I think what Jesus is saying to us is it's really quite a simple principle. And it's simply this, is that the teachings of Jesus are foundational principles. They're foundational principles that we must diligently follow if we're to endure through the storms of life. Uh, the, 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 the principles, the teachings of Jesus are foundational principles. What the Bible tells us in, in, in verse 24, uh, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man <coughs> who built his house on the rock. You, you see that, 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 that it's in taking the teachings of Jesus and applying them to our lives that's a little bit like our, taking them and, and applying them to your home and how you live. It's like building, instead of building, <coughs> excuse me, uh, instead of building one of my forts as a kid, building a house on a strong foundation. Well, let me ask you a question. What are you building your home on? What are you building your home on? What are you building your life on? You know, it's so interesting to me is every once in a while I'll be talking with someone and they go through something in life and they go through something that, that for them feels extremely tragic. And they're angry with God. Why did God let me go through that? How can God be a loving God? And a lot of times, a lot of the pain that enters their life is the result of simply ignoring the teachings of Jesus. That, that the, the principles, the, the, the teachings of Jesus are foundational principles for life. So which principles, which teachings of Jesus do we need to apply to our lives? And the answer to that is really simple. Yeah, it's all of them. Okay. By the way, the teachings of Jesus are not just the words in red in your Bible. The teachings of Jesus are from beginning to end. That this is the word of God. And Jesus is God the Son. In fact, Jesus is uh, the word. And, and Jesus is the rock that we build our lives on. That, that Jesus is, that, that you know, what are the, the principles that we need to, to build our lives on? All of them. But I'm going to say, let me give you one in particular. Can I do that? Let me just give you one in particular that comes from the very words of Jesus. Verse 12, Matthew 7. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. That, that if you build your life, uh, if you obviously study all of the scriptures and seek to live by all of them. But if you use that one rule of life for yourself, you're going to get it right most of the time. Okay? To treat other people the way you want to be treated. A lot of people like to say, well, this, you know, they, they call this the golden rule. You've heard it called the golden rule before. And a lot of people like to say, well, you know, the golden rule wasn't original with Jesus. They'll like to say that. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. And they'll like to point out like Confucius. Confucius said something like this. Uh, the evil that you wish that, that, I'm trying to think of how he says it, but basically it's like this. What you do not want other people to do to you, yeah, do not do to them. The, what you do not want people to do to you, do not do to them. Rabbi Hillel said something very, very similar to this. Uh, he was a, a famous uh, Jewish rabbi close to the time of Jesus, a little bit before him. Uh, there was a, uh, a, a, a Greek... Um, a Greek orator, his name is Isocrates, who said something very, very similar to this. That what you do not want others to do to you, do not do to them. And basically, in short, what it's saying is, don't do bad things to other people. 
But that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is fundamentally different from what Confucius said. It's fundamentally different from what Rabbi Hillel said. It's fundamentally different from what Isocrates said and a lot of these other ancient teachers because he's not saying don't just do bad things to people. He's saying what you want people to do to you, do to them. He is saying don't just not do bad things, do the good things. Do good. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Um, the teachings of Jesus are foundational for life. Uh, second thing I want you to see here is that they're, they're foundational for life, but we need to diligently follow them. That it's not enough to know the teachings of Jesus. We need to, to diligently follow them. The Bible says, therefore, Jesus says this. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Acts on them. See, a true follower of Jesus is a man or a woman of action. We are called to be men and women of action. That we are called to be people who actually follow the teachings of Jesus and not simply know them. One of our values as a church is this, is Scripture lived. That we learn Scripture to live Scripture. That's one of the values that, that defines who we are. It defines not simply what we do, but how we do everything we do. That we don't just simply learn Scripture to know Scripture, but we learn Scripture to live Scripture. That, that, we, need to, uh, that we need to take uh, the, the Word of God and begin to put it into action in our lives. A third principle I want to share with you this morning, building your home on the rock, is this, is that those who follow the teachings of Jesus have a, a better foundation for life. That what the Bible says and, and what Jesus says in verse 25 about the man who built his house on the rock. He says, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall. Do you see those words? It didn't fall. It didn't fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. But when you continue to read in verse 26, where it says, everyone hears these words of mine and does not act on them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell. The floods came, the winds blew, slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You know, the difference between these two people is not that one went through storms in life and the other didn't. By the way, this is what I think is wrong with a lot of Bible teaching in the world today, is a lot of it sounds a little bit like the American dream with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in. You know, that Jesus wants you to have the good life now and later. And the truth is, that's just simply not something. If, if the Bible teaches us anything, it teaches us that sometimes when you follow Jesus, you're crucified. When you follow Jesus, sometimes you suffer. Sometimes you suffer unfairly. If you don't want to suffer unfairly, you don't want to follow Jesus. Okay? I don't get to tell you today, hey, just follow Jesus, you know, read a verse a day and, and everything will be fine. You'll never go through any trouble. That's not what the Bible teaches. If I taught you that, I would be teaching you a lie. I would be one of the false prophets, one of the false teachers. Um, you know, the difference between these two people is not that one went through the storms of life and the other didn't. The, the difference between these two people is not, not that one person heard the teaching of Jesus and one didn't. 
It's not like one of these people did not hear the teaching of Jesus. They both heard it. It's what they did or didn't do with what they heard that was the reason that their lives eventually collapsed in the storms of life. I want to try to make this really practical for you if I can. Uh, I want to talk to you real briefly if I can. I'm kind of lost in my notes, sorry. I forgot to use them. Um, let me give you five next steps, okay? This may be a lot, but but one of the things that we want to be as followers of Jesus is we want to be next step followers, right? A, a next step follower of Jesus, if you're not familiar with the, the principle is this, is, is people who are eager to take the next step in following Jesus, whatever that looks like. That's something that we all want to do. We want to be people who, whatever Jesus says, that's what I, that's the whole point of the teaching here. Is you hear, and then what do you do? You do. It's not you hear and you don't do, but you hear and you do. Uh, next steps. Uh, first step is this. Read the scriptures daily. Okay? I mean, it's hard to live scripture if you don't know scripture. Okay? But read scripture daily. But what I'm going to say is, don't just read it. Read it till you get it. Uh, recently, Joy was was reading uh, this article from this uh, gal. I can't think of her name, but anyway, in the article, she said, "Don't just read scripture, but read it till you get it." And what I'd like to do is, I'd like to take that one step further. Is don't read it till you get it. I mean, read it till you get it, but then read it till it gets you. You understand what I'm saying? That when you read the Word of God. You know, it's very easy, very, very easy. I've done this, you know. It's very easy to read the Bible and check it off your to-do list. Very, very easy to do that. Very easy to read a chapter, and then 15 minutes later, you have no clue what you read. I mean, it's easy for me to do that. Maybe not you, but for me. What I have found is it's not enough for me to read once. Typically, I need to go through, and I need to read once, twice, three times, and sometimes a lot more. I need to read it till I get it. And and reading it, and what we're wanting to do here is not just simply saying the words in our heads, but what we want to do is we actually want to metabolize Scripture. We want to metabolize Scripture in such a way that it begins to uh, energize us. It begins to uh, bring life to us, the Christ life. And so don't just simply read the scriptures, but read it till you get it. Then, then read it till it gets you. Secondly, pray scripture for yourself and family. One of the best habits you can develop is the habit of simply praying scripture. If you read a chapter a day from the Bible, uh, and, and then you pick just like one paragraph that you wanted to go through and read, read two or three more times. You know, one paragraph maybe that kind of stood out to you more than the others. One paragraph that maybe it touched an area in your life where you're like, you know, I need to pay attention to this. You know, I, I do. I, 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 I had that happen to me this week. This week I was, I was, I was looking through and I was looking a lot at, at Matthew 7. And, and I just started a little bit earlier in the chapter. And I read these words. Do not judge that you will not be judged. Do not judge that you will not be judged. And, and I read, for in the same way you judge, you'll be judged. By the same standard of measure, it'll be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye? but do not notice the log that's in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. 
you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Why was that text important for me this week? Because this week I read a couple articles about a man that I've looked up to for a very, very long time. A man in ministry with a lot of leadership. He recently had to resign his position in his church because of inappropriate relationships uh, with women. And I read that, and I thought, you know, I, I just, I was profoundly sad. I cried. I just felt profoundly sad. This is a person that I have read many of his books. I have gone to many conferences where he's spoken at. A man I've really looked up to. And I just felt profoundly sad. And I just felt like God was saying, Gary, what will you do to make sure you don't follow the same path? See, it's not my place to be his judge. If anything, I should pray for him. I should pray that God will restore him. I should pray that he'll humbly repent where he needs to repent, own his what he needs to change. And I should pray for his restoration. But what I need to do is not examine him. I need to examine me. How do I make sure? You know what? Oh, gee. The older I get, the more appreciation I have for people. The more appreciation I have for people like my father-in-law. He's 80 years old. He has been faithful to his wife. He has loved me as his son-in-law. I'm his favorite son-in-law. That's because he has three sons and one daughter. But he has loved me. He has served me. You know what? I have never heard Vic ever say a bad word about another person. Never have I ever heard him say a bad word about another person. And that's not because people haven't hurt him through the years. I told Joy that. She said, yeah, I've never heard him say it. She grew up with him. She never heard him ever say a bad word about another person. I can't say that about myself. But, you know, my, my father-in-law is 80 years old. My mother-in-law is 79. He is uh, the interim pastor for a church in Cushing, Oklahoma. And he is still faithfully preaching the scriptures every week. A couple of weeks ago, they were, just before Easter, they went out. They visited 50 uh, people. Uh, my, my father-in-law with his cane and my mother-in-law visiting people, inviting them to church. Uh, you know, those are the people I have appreciation for. Okay, let me get off that. So the bottom line is, is, is pray scripture for yourself, your family. Uh, where was I at? I have no clue. It, it, okay, we, we need to, I think, pray scripture for yourself, your family. Pray scripture for your church. Your spiritual family should be as dear to you as your, your, your family. Did you know that? That was the experience in the New Testament, is that the church was family. You know, it takes, uh, you've heard the old saying, it takes a village to, to raise a child. It takes a church. It does. And there was an investment in each other's lives, and there was a love and a devotion for one another. And, and, and uh, praying Scripture for yourself, your family, your spiritual family. Number three, let your children catch you reading and studying the Scriptures. I remember when Caleb was a little boy, he was probably, I don't know, two or three years old. I came home one night. This is when I used to office out of my house, which was a disaster once Caleb came along. Not because of Caleb, but just because I was always distracted. Uh, but <clears throat> I, I remember I, I'd come home one evening, and uh, I was going back to my office, and his bedroom was right next to that. And uh, I looked in there, 
And he was sitting in his bedroom, and he had this little table set up and these little chairs set up there, kind of like a desk. And he had his Bible out. He was like two or three years old. He couldn't read. He had his Bible out, and he was underlining Scripture. <laughs> now, why does a two- or three-year-old do that? Oh, he's watched me, and he watched Joy. Joy writes all over her Bible, much more than I do. But, you know, I, I look and I think, you know, you know that the, your, when your children catch you reading the Scriptures, it communicates a lot more to them. It really does. It's just it, it communicates a lot to them. It, it says, you know what, the Scriptures are important in our home. But let your children catch you reading Scripture. Share with your children what God is showing you in age-appropriate ways, okay? So, I, you know, there's some, you know, I wouldn't try to, to explain the, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity to a, a, a three-year-old, okay? Uh, but, you know, but, but, you know, sharing with your kids what you're learning, what God is saying to you, how God's working your life, uh, just sharing, I, I just think it's huge. I, I really do. I think, it again, it tells them, hey, you know what, Mom, Dad, they're really in the Scriptures, and not just they're in the Scriptures, the Scriptures are in them. It, it, it's, it's powerful. Uh, and, 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 by the way, don't stop sharing when they hit their teen years. But continue to share. Um, uh, but but let's, you know, share with your children what God's showing you in age-appropriate ways. And then finally, five, worship God weekly as a family in a church where God's word is taught. And this is one of the things that, that concerns me is that the busyness of life in our world today. When I was a kid, this is so interesting. When I was a kid, you, you didn't have soccer games on Sunday mornings. It just never happened. Uh, Wednesday night was untouchable. You would never schedule a high school basketball game uh, or football, wrestling, baseball. It didn't matter. Nothing. It was like it was sacred. In our world today, there's nonstop activity seven days a week, really, seriously. And what happens is is that, that, that the, this, this concept of regular weekly corporate worship has gone away in the way many people do church and experience Jesus in, in the 21st century. And what I will tell you is, is that that kind of goes against almost everything you read in the Bible from beginning to end, that the weekly pause to worship, reflect, uh, is built in the Scriptures pretty much from cover to cover, you know? And, and I think that we've kind of said, oh, um, it's important, yeah, kind of, but not really. Um, and, and so what I would say is that worshiping together as a family, when you're worshiping together as a family and that is a priority, um, I'm not saying if you miss a Sunday morning, you're going to hell, okay? You, you might be, I don't know, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying that, that when, when regular worship isn't regular, whether you want it to or not, it communicates. Your, your kids get it. They do. They get it. They hear it loud and clear. They internalize it. They metabolize it. They say, oh, okay, it's really not that important. It's kind of occasionally important. And that's the reason I think really being plugged into a place, and, and you know what, I don't care what church you choose. I do care. I mean, if y'all left next week, I would be profoundly sad. But, but the point is, is that, that, that uh, in, in, you know, plug into a church where the word of God is taught. And, uh, and and make it a real priority. I just think that those things are are, are hugely important uh, in great next steps. Um, what kind of foundation are you building your life on?
What kind of foundation are you building your life on? Well, what kind of a foundation are you building your family on? By the way, do you feel like your life is falling apart? Do you? I mean, in in a group this size, it wouldn't surprise me if if I could sit down with you one-on-one. It wouldn't surprise me if there one or more of you just said, you know, Gary, I feel like my life is falling apart right now. I've had that feeling before. You know, I, I had that feeling when we went through, when we discovered the uh, the uh, tumor in Joy's neck. I mean, I, I felt that way. I just was devastated. Uh, we, we were at the time we weren't sure if it was cancer or what it was. Didn't know how to treat it. Nothing. And I just, I remember this dread I felt is that it wasn't just the fear of maybe possibly losing my wife, but what scared me the most was my children losing their mom. It terrified me. You know, do you feel like your life is falling apart? Um, And it's always a good time to pause and look. What am I building my foundation on? Am I building it on the foundational principles of the teaching of Jesus? Or am I building my life on something that simply won't stand? Um, what are you building your life on? The teaching, teachings of Jesus are foundational principles that we have to diligently follow if we are to thrive through the storms of life. Uh, I want to invite you back next week. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. And uh, what we're going to be looking at and talking about is the spirit-filled family, how life in the spirit relates to family life. Let's pray. God, today we want to uh, we want to praise and worship you uh, because you are a holy God. You're a holy God, but you are also a God that's full of grace and mercy, and and for that we're grateful. God, we are so grateful for the gift of your Son. We are so grateful for the gift of your Spirit who fills us. Lord, we are grateful for the gift of your Word, uh, the wisdom of your Word the principles of your word that that are a sure foundation for life. Lord, teach us how to to live in the word and to be in the word in such a way that the word is in us. Teach us, God, how to read the word of God until we get it, where we begin to metabolize it so that that not only do we get the word of God, but the word of God gets us. Teach us how to do that, God. And teach us how to build our lives and build our families on this foundation of your word. In Christ's name. Amen.